Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Today's episode on blistering skin disorders will be hosted by Alicia Podwojiak, a third-year medical student at Rowan Virtuous School of Osteopathic Medicine. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name's Alicia Podwojiak. I'm a student at Rowan Virtuous School of Osteopathic Medicine, and I'm going to be your host today. Today we'll be covering a super high yield topic, pemphigus vulgaris and bolus pemphigoid. The key similarities, differences, and words to look out for in a question stem. Please note that dermatologic conditions can be tricky to cover in a podcast format as they're largely visual conditions and they require a visual understanding, but I'm going to try my best to verbally describe these images and use some common phrases to give you an idea of what's going on. I'll be asking a lot of questions throughout, so try your best to pause, Give it your best guess, and if you get it wrong, it's no big deal. It's your learning experience and just another form of reviewing the material in a different format. Okay, so with that being said, let's dive right into it. First things first, I want to give some background on these two disorders. They're both autoimmune blistering disorders. Specifically, they're type 2 hypersensitivity reactions. Do you remember what type 2 hypersensitivity reactions are? Good. A type 2 hypersensitivity reaction is said to occur when damage to the host tissues is caused by cellular lysis or cellular damage induced by the direct binding of an antibody to surface antigens. So these conditions can be considered as belonging to a family of conditions known as bullous dermatoses, but do you know which one is the worst condition? That's right, it's pemphigus vulgaris. When I first learned about these topics, I kept getting them mixed up, but it always helped me to remember which one was the worst, you know, more fatal condition. And I remembered this by thinking of the word vulgar being a horrible, nasty word. And so if this helps you, I encourage you to remember it that way, and you can always return back to knowing that. Now, starting with pemphigus vulgaris, do you know what part of the body this condition commonly occurs in? Uh, This could help you differentiate it from bolus pemphigoid. That's right, the oral mucosa. And so if you're presented with a question stem of a patient with blistering lesions in the mouth, this is one of many clues that you might be dealing with pemphigus vulgaris. Now speaking of a patient with this condition, what age range do we normally see it in? Middle-aged to older adults. Think like 40 to 60 years old. One way that helped me remember the severity of this condition was really to understand the pathogenesis. So we need to know what the autoantibody in this disease is targeting. Do you know what it's targeting? Nice, the desmosome, which is a strong adhesion molecule that connects the adjacent cells together. Specifically, there are two autoantibodies. Can you think of their names? Great. It's anti-desmoglein 1 and anti-desmoglein 3. So anti-desmoglein 1 has to do with mucocutaneous involvement and anti-desmoglein 3 has to do with mucosal involvement. So think of it as um, these desmosomes wrapping around each cell and holding them uh, to the cell next to them on all of the adjoining sides. Now if you understand that, Uh, I think it helps you to understand that if these were to be weak, as they are in this disease, you would get these really flimsy, sort of weak and flaccid blisters. Does that make sense? Like, if each side of the cell holding it together to another cell has lost its integrity, it would make for a really weak structural component. Okay, so now for the presentation. 
We know that we have these really weak, flimsy blisters. They can easily be scraped off. Do you know the name of this clinical sign? That's right, it's Nikolsky sign. The same Nikolsky sign that you would see in staphylococcal scalded skin syndrome in newborns. It's when you gently press on the skin and its top layer can easily peel off. Is this a painful condition or painless? Extremely painful. It's this progressive development of non-healing blisters throughout the mouth and the rest of the body. They're weak, they're easily ruptured, and they have this clear exudate. And as you can imagine, if they rupture, they leave behind superficial erosions in the skin. And of course, when you get these erosions, the patient is more prone to skin, soft tissue infections, and electrolyte abnormalities. And that's part of what makes this condition so severe. Moving on to the histology, we see a separation of the epidermal cells. Do you know what the term for this is? Acantholysis. And in a stem, you might see this being described as either acantholysis or describing what acantholysis is. So it's not only important to recognize these words, but also to understand their meanings, uh, which would make sense when we're thinking of a blistering disorder with a positive Nikolsky sign. And so it's this intraepidermal blister, which again makes sense when we think about the pathogenesis. We have a separation between individual cells from side to side, and it's within the same layer that these separations of cell integrity are occurring. And with that, the final piece of important information should make sense. On immunofluorescence, do you know what type of pattern we might see? That's right, it's a reticular or lace-like, you know, net-like sort of pattern. Again, thinking about the pathogenesis of these desmosomes being attacked and losing integrity holding adjacent cells together, it would make sense to see the autoantibodies lighting up or surrounding the cells. So all of this is in contrast to bolus pemphigoid. And one way I like to differentiate bolus pemphigoid in my head is simply by thinking about the language. Think of the word pemphigoid. It has that O-I-D ending, like it's describing something as pemphigus-like. So just in the name of the condition, we know that it is pemphigus-like, but it is not pemphigus. That always helped me to remember that it was similar, but not as severe as pemphigus vulgaris, which, remember, has that vulgaris, that vulgar, nasty, debilitating word just in its name. So do you know which age group we see bolus pemphigoid in? So it's a slightly older population than what we saw for Pemphigus vulgaris. Think the 70s to 80s range. And do we see oral involvement with bolus pemphigoid? No. Remember that oral involvement is a clue leading you to Pemphigus vulgaris. Okay, now let's talk about the pathogenesis here. Like I said, understanding this aspect can, make, can help make the whole disease make a lot more sense. Do you know what structure is targeted by the autoantibodies in this disease process? That's right. It's the, uh, the autoantibodies or the IgG molecules are targeting the hemidesmosomes in the dermal-epidermal junction. Do you know what hemidesmosomes are? So these are another type of anchoring protein that attach epithelial cells to their basement membrane. So let's contrast this with the desmosomes that we see in Pemphigus vulgaris. Those were attaching cells to cells, from side to side and circumferentially. But hemidesmosomes are mostly working with that bottom layer of epidermal cells and attaching them to their basement membrane. The way I remembered this, and I don't know if it'll help you, but if it sticks, it sticks. I would think of hemi as being half, 
And although I know that between the epidermis and dermis isn't really half of the layers of skin, it just, um, just by thinking that it splits two layers reminded me of half. And so that's how I remembered it. Okay, so now we have this autoantibody targeting the protein that attaches our cell layer to its basement membrane. We get inflammation, we get complement, and develop an epidermal dermal cell splitting, leading to blister formation. And now that we understand this, how would you describe the presentation of blisters in bolus pemphigoid? That's right, they're much more tense and tough bullae. They don't rupture easily, which is a key differentiating factor from pemphigus vulgaris. Additionally, they have another presenting feature or symptom that helps differentiate them from pemphigus vulgaris. Do you know what that is? Yep, so it's pruritus or itching. And so we know that there's severe itching. What cell type do we expect to see in high numbers in these bullae? Great job, eosinophils. And what about the Nikolsky sign? Is it present in bolus pemphigoid? No. Remember, we see the Nikolsky sign with pemphigus vulgaris. So if it helps you, one thing that always helped me remember how these lesions were these tough and you know not easily ruptured was knowing that the hemidesmosomes were you know, deeper in the skin. So the lesion sort of had more layers of intact skin supporting it on top of it. Or, you know, another way to think of it is that these lesions are deeper in the skin uh, or quote unquote deeply rooted. So they're, they're stronger. Whereas with pemphigus vulgaris, it's the very superficial epidermal layer that's weakened and therefore easily ruptured. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it was kind of a dummy down way that I always um, remembered the difference in the pathologies of the two conditions. So let's move on to the histology for bolus pemphigoid. On a skin biopsy, what do we expect to see? Yep, so it's subepidermal blisters with eosinophil-rich infiltrate. Remember, we're working at the epidermal-dermal junction, so we're going to see subepidermal, not intraepidermal, like we saw with pemphigus vulgaris. And what about on immunofluorescence? This is pretty high yield. What would we expect on immunofluorescence for bolus pemphigoid? We'll see that linear pattern at the dermal-epidermal junction. Now remember, contrast this to the immunofluorescence you'll see in pemphigus vulgaris, which is, do you remember? That's right, it's that net-like or reticular pattern. Now treatment of both of these conditions is relatively lower yield for step one or complex level one, but for completeness sake, wound care is key and topical or systemic steroids can be used. Now let's do a quick case. We have a 60-year-old man who comes to your dermatology office presenting with persistent blisters. He notes that initially he noticed them on his lips, but now they seem to be getting worse and they're on his trunk and his upper arms. He denies any itching, but notes that they are painful and becoming more disfiguring. You take a biopsy and give him some steroids and begin treatment. What histologic features do you expect to see under the microscope? Nice. Acanthalysis and intraepidermal separation. So that was a little bit of a second order question, but let's go back to the first order. What disease pathology are we thinking of? Nice job. Pemphigus vulgaris. And what are the an antibodies targeting? Great job. The desmosomes. And what do we see on immunofluorescence? The reticular pattern. 
some clues in this case. I tried to give a little bit more of an ambiguous age since sometimes they like to do that. They like to trick you. Um, don't always base things off of age, although it can give you a nice um, direction point. But other things, other clues that I gave were the mouth lesions, the pain, the disfigurement, and uh, he doesn't mention any itching. Um, some other clues I could have given would be a Nikolsky sign, a description of weak blisters, or presenting with a complication of the disease, such as a skin or soft tissue infection. Okay, so let's do a little rapid-fire comparison of phrases and ideas. I'm going to give you a quick phrase and think about which condition I'm referring to. Let's say we have a 40-year-old woman who comes in with really painful blisters in her mouth for about a month that may have gotten progressively worse. Which blistering disorder do you think this might be? That's right, pemphigus vulgaris. And you notice that she has a small blister on her skin, and when you press it, the skin easily slides off. What is the name of this clinical finding? That's right, Nikolsky sign. Alright, now let's say you have an 8-year-old woman who comes in with a complaint of severe itching on her legs. And on exam, you notice really tense bullae that do not easily rupture when you press on them. Which blistering disorder is this likely referring to? That's right, bullous pemphigoid. Okay, now let's say you're looking at immunofluorescence in the pathology lab, and you see this reticular pattern or a lace net-like pattern under uh, immunofluorescence. Which blistering disorder is this referring to? Nice job. Pemphigus vulgaris. And let's talk about the immunofluorescence for bolus pemphigoid. What would you expect to see? A linear pattern at the dermal epidermal junction. Alright, next one. If I told you a patient has anti-desmoglein 1 antibodies, how would you expect them to present? Nice. So this is describing pemphigus vulgaris and we have those severely painful flimsy blisters. And if I told you a patient has an antibody targeting their hemidesmosomes, which disease would you think of? Nice. Bullous pemphigoid. And finally, both of these conditions are which type of hypersensitivity reaction? Type 2. Alright, so that brings us near the end of this episode. I know it can be difficult to learn about these dermatologic conditions in an auditory format, but remember, this is designed to just be another form of review, another form of being exposed to the material. I encourage you to listen to it again if you need to and follow along. Maybe pull out your laptop or your phone and follow along with some pictures. Um, as I'm talking, you can search up the different um, presentations. And I know a lot of the descriptive phrases and so-called buzzwords are likely to show up, but even more important is to develop an understanding of the pathogenesis. It will help you really understand and remember these diseases long-term. So to recap, we have pemphigus vulgaris, the more severe disorder. It's that autoimmune destruction of the desmosomes, which are those anchoring proteins that connect the cell to another cell within that epidermal layer. We'll see a patient present with severely painful, weak, and flaccid blisters that easily rupture to light touch. We have a positive Nikolsky sign and mucosal involvement. It's more common in a middle-aged to older adult, think 40s to 60s, but younger than the average um, age for bullous pemphigoid. On immunofluorescence, we see that net-like reticular pattern. This is a debilitating, fatal condition if left untreated. 
And then we have bolus pemphigoid. Again, thinking of this as being like pemphigus vulgaris, but not as severe. This is also an autoimmune destruction of proteins, but this time it's the hemidesmosomes, which anchor the bottom layer of epidermal cells to the basement membrane. We see really tense, tough bullae here that do not easily rupture. We see severe itching and no Nikolsky sign. It's seen in an even older patient population, think 70s to 80s. And under the scope, we see a linear pattern at the dermal-epidermal junction. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember, if, that, if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.